we switch to plan B. See how this goes. As the temperatures drop, as we enter the autumn season, I decided to brighten up the sanctuary a little bit with some pictures of flowers. Of course, I chose tulips. Some of you might be of Dutch ancestry, maybe just a few. As I was doing a little bit of research on tulips, I discovered 60% of the world's tulip export is from the Netherlands, which makes sense. Although I find it interesting, they chose the daisy as the daisy. I grew up in Orange City, Iowa, and the town always sponsored a tulip time festival. When I was in high school, I was chosen to be an escort to accompany the tulip time queen and her court as we went through town with the parade. I wasn't too happy, though, about the costume that I had to wear. <laughs> it included leotards, and um, I tried to get rid of those photos. The one that you see is when we moved to Holland, Michigan. We were delighted again that there was a tulip time festival. If you look closely, Kendra and Brianna are still pretty young at this particular time, and I may look a little younger too. When I was in Holland, I sang in the Holland Chorale, a community choir, and we would perform during tulip time. And of course, my favorite song was Op de Tenen door de Tulpe Lope. My Dutch isn't the greatest, but in English, tiptoe through the tulips. Now this morning, as we begin a new series of messages on the five points of I'd like to remember the visual of the tulips. Pastor Dave and I will be preaching on five themes that form the acrostic as you see it, the word tulip along the side, and we're beginning this morning with total depravity, and then unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and then finally perseverance of the saints. Again, we begin this morning with total depravity, or as some would say, total inability. Both of those are quite common. And as we look at these five points, we're going to be using one of the confessions to which we hold, which is the Canons of Dort. Now, we're not going to cover it all. I had done a, a series prior to this, and I think I had 24 messages. So. Um, we could go into detail, but we're just going to stick with those five, especially now beginning on Reformation Sunday, and that will lead us right up to the Advent season. So I'm going to read from the Canons of Dort, and it's found on page 937 in the back of the gray hymnal. And I'm going to be reading articles one, two, and three. Our focus will be on the third article. So article one is the effect of the fall on human nature. Man was originally created in the image of God and was furnished in his mind with a true and salutary knowledge of his creator and things spiritual. 
in his will and heart with righteousness and in all his emotions with purity. Indeed, the whole man was holy. However, rebelling against God at the devil's instigation and by his own free will, he deprived himself of these outstanding gifts. Rather, in their place, he brought upon himself blindness, terrible darkness, futility and distortion of judgment in his mind, perversity, defiance, and hardness in his heart and will, and finally, impurity in all his emotions. Article two is on the spread of corruption. Man brought forth children of the same nature as himself after the fall. That is to say, being corrupt, he brought forth corrupt children. The corruption spread by God's just judgment from Adam to all of his descendants, except for Christ alone. Not by way of imitation, as in the former times the Pelagians would have it, but by way of the propagation of his perverted nature. And then Article 3, again, this is our focus, total inability. Therefore, all people are conceived in sin and are born children of wrath, unfit for any saving good, inclined to evil, dead in their sins, and slaves to sin. Without the grace of the regenerating Holy Spirit, they are neither willing nor able to return to God, to reform their distorted nature, or even to dispose themselves to such reform. That is Canons of Dort. Going to be looking at a scripture passage from Romans 5, verses 12 through 21. As you turn to that, I just want to mention that the topics that we'll be looking at do not appear sequentially within the Canons of Dort. For example, we're, we read from Article 3, and um, or Main Point 3, so total depravity isn't the very first one. So if that's confusing, uh, hopefully it won't be too confusing, uh, but we'll kind of let you know which one uh, we will be looking at as we proceed. I also want to encourage you, if you have an opportunity, to read the historical background to the Canons of Dort. It's on page 926, but we will be discussing it as well. So our, our scripture passage is found in Romans 5, beginning with verse 12 and then continuing through verse 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. And yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more 
have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. that the title of the message this morning is, How Sinful Are We? Now, just for a few moments, think about that. How would you answer that question? Because if you think about it, it does present a dilemma. According to the creation account in the first two chapters of Genesis, you and I are created in God's image. So, with that in mind, we can't say that we're a lost cause. We can't say that we're completely unable to do one single thing that brings glory to God. And yet, at the same time, we live in a fallen world. A world in which sin and evil do exist. And in fact, our natural tendency is to be drawn toward that which is sinful and disobedient. Paul writes Rome 7, For I know that nothing but dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do, but sin that dwells within me. So how do we reconcile the fact that we're created in God's image and yet sin dwells within us? During the meeting of the Synod of Dort, this was one of the five main points of, of doctrine that was being addressed. And the reason is this. When it comes to this topic of total depravity, we need, in order to fully understand and appreciate Christ's work of atonement, his death, resurrection, ascension, and reign, we need to understand our condition, our state of being. In fact, all of the other 
points of doctrine that we'll be looking at in the next few weeks literally hinge on that question, how sinful are we? And this concept, this doctrine of total depravity answers that question. It states very clearly that we need God's intervention for our salvation. First and foremost, we are born into sin through the disobedience of Adam. Adam's original sin back in the Garden of Eden affects all of us, each one of us. We have a fallen nature. And not only that, we also continue to sin daily through our poor choices. The fall and this whole idea of total depravity is serious because it affects our whole being. R.C. Sproul states it this way. He says, we are not sinners because we sin so much as we sin because we are sinners. You notice the difference? We're not sinners because of our action of sinning, but we sin because of our state of being as sinners. It's important to clarify total depravity does not mean utter depravity, that there's absolutely nothing good within us. And that's why some prefer total inability to total depravity. Now, I found it kind of helpful that one theologian gave an analogy, and I'm going to pass that on. Suppose I invite you over for breakfast. And you sit down and I offer you a freshly brewed cup of coffee. You're seated at the kitchen table and I'm busy making omelets. So I'm mixing the eggs together and I'm adding fresh onions and green peppers and mushrooms and bite-sized pieces of ham. Doesn't it sound good? You can hardly wait for those omelets to be done. But then it hits you. Your nasal passage, passages are assaulted by a stench that's overpowering. You cover your nose with a napkin in front of you. What is that smell, you ask? And my response is, well, I needed six eggs for the omelet, and I only have six eggs in the fridge. One of them is a rotten egg. And I thought, well, why, why don't I just mix it in with all of the other ingredients? And we wouldn't even notice it. It doesn't work that way, does it? Sin, like that one rotten egg, is mixed into the whole of our humanity. It taints or affects every part of our lives. God created mankind with an intellectual understanding of who he is. We call that our head knowledge. He also created us with a personal and living knowledge of who God is. That is our heart knowledge. And then he gave us true affection toward God. And that's the emotional part of our being. So we are created to know God intellectually, willfully, and emotionally. And that is why our true desire as believers is to know God, to do his will, and to live in harmony with one another. Now, when Adam and Eve sinned, every part of our being was affected. 
our minds became darkened. Our hearts became hardened. Our emotions became rebellious. One author writes, man is no longer able to think and reflect on what is good, perfect, wholesome, true, and right. Instead, his mind is often filled with lies, ignorance, and foolishness. He no longer knows who God truly is or the things of God. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Man is a sinner by nature whose deepest imaginations are evil. Man's brain produces a world of illusions so that he thinks of himself as pure when in reality he is guilty. Now as we direct our attention to Romans 5, Paul is making a direct link between the sin and the disobedience of Adam which brought death compared to the obedience and the power of Jesus Christ who brings eternal life. His point is to bring out that contrast. By one man's disobedience, we were plunged into sin. But by one man's obedience, we are declared righteous and justified. Notice how Paul describes the effect of Adam's sin on the human race. Verse 12, he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, speaking of Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. And that interesting, Paul says, death came to all men because all have sinned. That is, Adam's guilt as the head of the human race, the first person created, is handed down to us. We, in a sense, inherit it. The assumption, and I think it's a correct assumption, is that you and I would have done the same thing if we were in the situation of Adam and Eve. We would disobey God. So Adam represents us in our humanity. Again, I thought an analogy might be helpful. When the United States Congress declared war on Japan in December of 1941, the average American really had no say in the matter. Since the United States was at war and, de and declared war, all of its citizens were also brought into the war. The action of Congress as our head on a federal level meant that every citizen which that head represented was then also impacted. By that. So in the same way, Paul is saying to us in Romans 5, that since Adam sinned and rebelled against God, all of humanity entered into that rebellion with him. And it's interesting, Paul's logic. In verse 12, he says, sin entered the world through that one man, Adam. And then, Death came through that sin. Verse 15, that many died because of his sin. Verse 16, that God's judgment for the sin of Adam brought condemnation. Verse 17, 
Due to his sin, death reigned. And then finally in verse 18, therefore the result of Adam's sin was condemnation for all of humanity. Now, at the Synod of Dort, there was quite a disagreement between the Calvinists and a group called the Arminians. And it had to do with the fall of Adam. The Calvinists stated that mankind had a radical change of nature at the moment of the fall. Prior to the fall, his mind and heart and will were perfect, created by God. But then after the fall, his whole being became affected by sin. And so as a result, mankind is dead in sin. And here's the important part. Only God is able to save us. Since we are sinners, we will always produce sin. The Arminians, however, believed mankind has an inclination towards sin. And the fall actually just made it a little bit worse. They said mankind is still drawn towards sin, but he is able to help himself. In our passage in Romans 5, Paul is very clear. We can't fix ourselves. We can't save ourselves. Only Jesus Christ can bring renewal of mind and heart and emotion. As in Adam, all are dead. Paul says in Christ, God intervenes to reverse that order of destruction. Again, R.C. Sproul has, I think, a helpful comment. This is the point of Paul's analogy between the first Adam and the second Adam. It is Jesus Christ who fulfills the covenant of works which the first Adam disobeyed. Christ's perfect obedience is then imputed to all those that he represents under the new covenant of grace. Adam still stands as the biological and federal head of the human race under the covenant of works, which brings condemnation to the human race. Jesus Christ is the mediator of the covenant of grace, bringing God's superabounding grace to all of those whom he intends to save. Looking again at that passage in Romans 5, instead of looking at the first man, Adam, let's look at the reference to the second Adam, or second man, Jesus. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. The free gift brought justification and righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, as we continue in the next few weeks in our series on TULIP, we're going to expand much more on that whole concept of how Jesus Christ 
accomplishes redemption. But we need to at least realize this morning as we begin that at the foundation is this doctrine of total depravity or inability. That is, we are all tainted by sin. Now, as we come to the conclusion, I, I just want to have a couple of statements here on why we need to be reminded of this particular doctrine of total depravity. I have two. First, measured against the holiness of God, we are reminded of our need for humility and repentance. I think it's fair to say that often people overestimate their goodness. I was thinking of an example, and I thought, I'm maybe a little bit above average in playing basketball. I did in high school, no, I didn't in college. But when I compare myself to LeBron James, I realize I am not good at playing basketball. It's easy to overestimate our value. Correspondingly, people often underestimate their sin. We are part of a Christian community. And so it's easy to say, by and large, I don't cheat, I don't steal, I don't hurt other people. But the truth, and Jesus reveals it in the Gospels, is that we are disobedient and sinful even through our thoughts and the motivation of our hearts. So compared to God's standard of holiness, we fall far, far short. We're not as good as what we think. We sin more than what we realize. So, first of all, when measured against the holiness of God, we are humbled and repentant. And then second, another reason for really looking closely at this doctrine of total depravity is this. Acknowledging the depth of our sin and disobedience highlights the glory of God and his mercy. The glorious truth of God's grace and that's what Paul says, wherever sin increases, the grace of God increases even more. God's grace is far greater than any sin, any sin. We're going to be singing our song of response shortly. It's the song, Grace Greater Than Our Sin. And I encourage you to listen closely to the words as we sing them. And then after each stanza, we'll sing this chorus, Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all of our sin. We worship an amazing God. I'd like to conclude with three scripture texts that I think helps us understand how God alone is to be praised
for his gift of salvation. First Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, it's referring to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then in 2 Timothy 1, verse 10, Paul is writing, and he's reminding Timothy, God, he's speaking about God's purposes and God's grace. He goes on to say, which now have been made manifest through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel message. So at the foundation is total depravity, but it highlights the glory of God and his gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. Let's join together in prayer. O Lord, our God, we are sinful. And sometimes we either try to hide it or we're not willing to admit that the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden has been handed down to our nature. And also, we continue to commit our own sins through our bad choices and decisions. And so, we need Jesus. We need our Savior. We thank you that it is not dependent upon us and our sinful nature. We can't save ourselves. But it is completely dependent upon you and your gift in Jesus Christ that he paid the price through his death and resurrection. And that's why we are here. And that's why we are able to worship you with joyful hearts, with grateful lives. In Jesus' name, amen.